Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us for what Lead Pastor David Fossil calls a stress reliever. While Christmas is supposed to be the Super Bowl of our faith, it is a very stressful time. Join us as Pastor Dave brings us some thoughts on how to make our Christmas less stressful for ourselves and for those around us. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, page 724. That was pretty good. Grab your study guide, page 724. As you guys are turning there, I want to read to you one of my favorite Reader's Digest stories of all time. It says, a man was looking for a job and he noticed there was an opening at the local zoo. He inquired about the job and discovered that the zoo had a very unusual position that they wanted to fill. Apparently the gorilla had died and until they they could get a new one, they needed someone to dress up in a gorilla suit and act like a gorilla for a few days. He was just to sit, eat, and sleep. His identity would be kept a secret, of course. Thanks to a very fine gorilla suit, no one would be the wiser. The zoo offered good pay for the job, so the man decided to do it. He tried on the suit, and sure enough, he looked just like a gorilla. They led him to the cage. He took the position at the back of the cage and pretended to sleep. But after a while, he got tired of sitting, so he walked around a little bit, jumped up and down, and tried a few gorilla noises. The people who were watching seemed to really like that. When he would move move or jump around, they would clap and cheer and throw him peanuts. And the man loved peanuts, so he jumped around some more and tried climbing a tree. That seemed to really get the crowd excited. They threw more peanuts. Playing to the crowd, he grabbed a vine, and he swung from one side of the cage to the other. The people loved it, and they threw more peanuts. Wow, this is great, he thought. He swung higher, and the crowd grew bigger. He continued to swing on the vine, getting higher and higher, and then all of a sudden, the vine broke. He swung up and out of the cage, landing in the lion's cage that was next door. He panicked. There was a huge lion not 20 feet away, and it looked very hungry. So the man in the gorilla suit started jumping up and down, screaming and yelling, Help! Help! Get me out of here! I'm not really a gorilla. I'm a man in a gorilla suit. Help! The lion quickly pounced on the man, held him down, and said, Will you shut up? You're going to get us both fired. (laughs) You know, when it comes to Christmas, um, it seems that so many of us are like the man in the gorilla suit. I mean, we're, we're Christians this is Christmas. This is kind of our Super Bowl of our faith, right? We're supposed to be talking about, um, you know, um, joy to the world and peace on earth, goodwill to men, all those things, right? But, but that's on the outside. On the inside, for so many, Christmas, especially the Christmas season, is filled with anxiety and is filled with turmoil and is filled with all kinds of stress. Did you know that 30% of Americans... Um, We all know there's stress in Christmas, right? But 30% of Americans believe that during the Christmas time, there is more stress than actually happiness and joy. And essentially, one in every three Americans are basically saying, if we didn't have Christmas, I'd be okay with that. Okay? Um, What are the uh, top stressors during the Christmas season? Well, they're not that hard to figure out. You go online, and here are the top issues. One is busyness. You know how that goes, right? There's all the extra, extra Christmas parties at office and the work and the school. And, um, you know, then you've got things going on at church, just all the busyness. Uh, then the, the, all the family issues that come up. 
you guys don't have that problem. We don't have that problem, do we? <laughs> the family issues. Of course, Christmas is a time when you're kind of forced to be with family because that's what you're supposed to do, right? And you have them over and, and you don't really have enough room for them. And so someone ends up sleeping on the, on the sofa bed and, you know, there's that pole in the middle and that's not very comfortable. And, you know, everybody's, and there's only one bathroom or two bathrooms for all these people. It's, it's kind of stressful, all the family issues, right? And then you have the economic difficulties. This is aggravated, especially in, in our time. Because it's been such a tough economy recently, or people haven't had enough work or work at all, and, and, and yet you feel the pressure of, of gifts, right? Uh, and, and it's not even, you want to give nice gifts. You want to give gifts to your friends. You want to give gifts to your family. You want to give gifts to your pastor that you love. And it's very difficult, you know, there's economic troubles. And, and the, another one is interesting is loneliness. Do you know that's a top, top issue during the Christmas season? I talked to a counselor, therapist, about four or five years ago, and they were saying, and, and, and drew me to the statistics, that during the December season are the highest suicide rates of the entire year. And they pointed to this idea that those of us who may or may not feel lonely, that feeling is heightened during the Christmas seasons because it's almost like we think that everyone else is having one of these Christmas wonderful parties and drinking eggnog with their friends, and we're the only ones that feel alone. When in reality, there's a lot maybe that feel alone. And I, I'm just saying that during the Christmas season, that loneliness is, is heightened and you feel, seem to feel it more. Buying gifts is, is, can be very stressful. You know, that's the whole, you know, going to the mall when it's super busy in the lines. Final exams, for those of you who are students, know what that's all about. And traveling. Uh, for those of us, you know, we're in California, it's not that big a deal, but especially if you're like in the Midwest or the East Coast now, you've seen all the snowstorms and all the mess that's going on there. But there are a lot of items that can produce stress during this Christmas season. When you look at the Christmas story, though, there's also quite a bit of stress. Let's just start with an unplanned pregnancy. How would that go over? That's pretty tough, right? Uh, and then traveling while you're pregnant on a donkey. The video made a little fun of it, but that, that can't be easy. Then you've got the financial difficulties. You go, what financial difficulties? Make no mistake about it. The reason they had the baby in a barn or a cave is because they didn't have enough cash. You plop $300 down at Motel 6, they're going to find a place for you to stay. They're, they're going to find fi- a place for you to stay. Add to that, there are certainly family issues going on. Why did they go to Bethlehem, by the way? They went to Bethlehem because the census was being taken, and you were supposed to go back to your, quote, hometown, basically. Well, why didn't they stay with cousin so-and-so? Why didn't they stay with uncle and aunt so-and-so? Why are they in a barn? What's going on? You have to read between the lines, but they, 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 back in those days, they aren't traveling all over the area like we do now. No, you're born in an area, you pretty much live your life in an area. Why aren't they staying with relatives? Well, probably because they've heard of this miracle baby, supposedly, that they're having, and, you know, I, why, don't you stay to you? why don't you stay away this Christmas? You've got all these stress items going on uh, in the Christmas story. And then you've got Herod going crazy. Why is he, you know, basically he throws a temper tantrum and tries to kill all the babies age two and under. Well, what's going on there? It's not just an anger issue. He's afraid that he's going to lose control. He's afraid that someone has, basically the Magi have shown up in his court, said someone else was just born that's going to take your place. And he's afraid that that's true. 
You know, what I want to talk to you about this morning is I want to help you, give you three or four ways so that your, your Christmas isn't as stressful as, as it maybe is lining up to be, okay? Three, four things. If you're jotting down notes, here's the first thing I want you to write down. I want to encourage you to rebound emotionally. Make a point to rebound emotionally. I, I specifically chose that word rebound intentionally. In basketball, when you take a shot on the basket and you miss, a good coach is going to tell you, well, the next best thing is to go get the rebound. And for many of us, there's things in our life that we've missed or haven't worked out. Well, the next best thing is to go get the rebound. And emotionally, you need to rebound a little bit. It's a story, we're going to start in verse 8. Verse 8, the birth of Jesus has been announced. In verse 8, here's what we read. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Just to stop right there real quick. Do you realize when you put the, the, the story, the Christmas story of Matthew and Luke side by side, it's basically a horror story, a scary story. There is fear everywhere in that story. Everywhere. Every single character is afraid. The angel shows up to Joseph. What's, what does he say to him? Don't be afraid and worried to take Mary as your wife. Shows up to Mary. What does the angel say to Mary? Don't be afraid. We're going to work this out. You're going to be pregnant, but don't be afraid. The angel shows up to Zechariah. What does he say to Zechariah? Don't be afraid. First thing he says, don't be afraid. You know, then of course you've got the story here about the shepherds. It doesn't just say afraid. It says terrified. It says terrified. Um, this This is a major theme throughout the story. Fear, worry, concern. Some of us here today, I I rather imagine, might have some of that going on right now in our life. The obvious one is is the economy still for so many that are struggling or don't have work or don't know what's going to happen and they've been trying. And some of you have just figured that out, but even if you figured it out, you're way behind on your bills. There's some worry and concern there. There are some of us that have some family concerns. It might not even be personal. It might be someone we really, really care about. And life is not working out for them, or they're going in the wrong direction, or something, decision, and there's some concern there. There's some worry there. For some of us, it may be physical. Because the doctors just told us, you know what, let's do some more tests in the new year. We're not sure how this looks, but, you know, we're going to need to do some blood work and so on and so forth. It could be all kinds of things. But some of us are here today with kind of a heavy heart. And we'll hug each other and say Merry Christmas and high five and all. But there's a heavy heart. There's some worry. There's some concern. So, so what do we do about this? How do we, well, I'm, not, I'm just going to give you a little nugget real quick. Read the rest of verse 10. It says, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. And then he says this. I bring you good news of great joy. Now, the thing that you have to understand is there's a major difference in the Bible between happiness and joy. Happiness is based upon what is happening in my life, my circumstances. God isn't necessarily promising to to change your circumstances. He's not saying, I bring you good news of wonderful happiness, because that would mean I'm going to get a job, I'm going to get healed, not necessarily. I I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but not necessarily. No, I'm going to bring you good news of great joy. Happiness has to do with going, what's going on in your life. Joy happens to, to, to be with what's going on in your soul. So what is the good news? What, what is the good news? You know, if, if, if one of the reasons that some of us are stressed 
is we are focusing on our circumstances, focusing on all the Christmas parties, focusing on decorating our house better than everyone else down the street, focusing on having a great Christmas meal to impress the in-laws, focusing on traveling, focusing on what's going on in my... If you focus on those things, you're going to be stressed. I mean, because life is tough. And the angel says, take a step back. I'm not going to make your life necessarily happy, but I can give you, through this message of good news, joy. What's the good news? We've been, we've been in church so long, and we've heard this story so often, we, it's almost like we don't get it. Here's the good news. Here it is. Listen very carefully. I'm going to put it right on the bottom shelf so even those of us with college degrees can understand it. Okay, so here it goes. Here's the good news. God cares for you. God cares for you. Not you, third person plural, like all of you. No, God cares for you, first person singular. You and you and you and you and you and you and you. Every one of yous. God cares for you. We understand that intellectually and theologically. We have not yet embraced that emotionally. I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to feel it. He cares about your issues and your concerns and your problems and your dreams, and your hopes. He cares for you. Now, did your circumstances change? No. But let that sink down into your soul and watch what happens emotionally to you. Watch what happens when you begin to not only know, but feel that the creator of the universe not only knows you, but cares for you and loves you. First thing. Second thing. Let me encourage you to renew your faith. Renew your faith. Look at verse 11. It's very interesting how he makes this announcement. The the angel says, Today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, if it's your Bible, one thing I would encourage you to do is to circle the three different phrases or words that are used to describe the person of Jesus. Why doesn't he just say, There's this baby Jesus who's going to be born? Oh, no. He uses three words. You see it there? Savior, Christ, and Lord. Why does he do that? It's like he uses three different ways to say the same exact person in one sentence, one verse. Because every single one of these words represents something different that God can do in your life. And if you're not allowing him to be Christ, Savior, and Lord, I guarantee you, you have some area of your life you're stressed. Oh, I don't quite understand yet, David. Okay, let's walk through this. The word Christ in your Bible will probably have a little asterisk or a little number or a little letter that will point you down to the bottom of the Bible that will indicate for you that that word is literally the Hebrew word Messiah or anointed one. Now, we throw this word around Messiah. We just sing it in a song. The long-awaited Messiah has come. Well, for us, that doesn't mean much. But for a Jewish person in those days, it was a massive, massive declaration. A Messiah. When they were speaking of a Messiah, they understood that someone was coming, sent by God, that was going to do one thing. Deliver me from my biggest problem, the Romans. That's what they understood. He's going to show up militarily overthrow the Romans and set up a Jewish political state. That's what they understood. Now, we have since understood that there are two comings, and the first coming he's going to do second things, and then the second coming he's going to do those other things. We now understand that. But these Jewish shepherds just outside of Bethlehem, I guarantee you they didn't know that. And when the angel says, the Messiah Christ has come, 
the first thing that popped into their head is someone just showed up to deliver me from my biggest problem. So I'm going to ask you a question. What's your biggest problem? What's your biggest issue? Some of us have important decisions to make. Some of us have um, dependency issues. Some of us have compulsive behaviors. Some of us have major family or major economic issues. What's your biggest problem? See, if you're trying to deal with your problem on your own, by your own strength, you're going to have some measure of stress. Now, does God want you to try and work at that? Yeah. But he still wants to be your Christ. This Christmas, you are to be reminded that he can and wants to be your Christ. He wants to show up and help you fix the biggest issue and problem you have in your life. And we've all got issues and problems. They may be smaller or bigger, but let's just not pretend that we don't have issues and problems. We do. Every one of us. I do. You do. He's also our Savior. That's the easy one, right? Savior. Um, See, he not only wants to fix your biggest problem, he, he wants to fix your soul. He wants to fix your soul. He wants to save you. I, I, you know, when I was a, a teenager, a lot of times in the summer, I would work at, at, at a camp. And I, they would either have me in charge of sports, or I'd either be a counselor, or I'd even be in director of something. Um, but there was always one job I wanted, but they would never give me. Because it always seemed like the easiest job, and that was the lifeguard. Remember the lifeguard? You just get to sit in a chair and put tan, tan lotion on, or until something would happen, and then you would really have to move. And I remember talking to this one lifeguard once and saying, the key to being a good lifeguard is this. You can't save them until they give up trying to save themselves. You can't save them until they, they give up trying to save themselves. Because if you've ever heard of this, when someone is struggling to stay above water and, and a lifeguard comes, they sometimes will just grab onto that lifeguard and not let go, and they'll both sink. And so this lifeguard was saying, it's, it's a very, you have to wait until they give up. And then you can save them. And it's the same is true with our soul. God can't save you until you give up. And until you give up, there is going to be a level of stress in your life you can't do anything about. You just need to give up and say, you know what? I believe that that babe really was who he said he was. And only through him can I have salvation. Only through him. Then the last one is Lord. He can be your Christ, fix your biggest problem. He wants to be your Savior, take care of your soul. And he wants to be your Lord. This is the tougher one. He, he wants to be your boss. That's what that word means. He's your boss. In those days, the word Lord, common language, was kurios. This was a big, big word for the average person. You know why? Because in the Roman Empire, if you were a part of the conquered Roman Empire, more often than not, like people like Nero would do this. Once a year, he would gather everyone from the town. They'd come to the town square, and they were required to say one phrase. Nero, or the emperor, is kurios. The emperor is my lord. The emperor is my boss. The emperor is my CEO. Easy thing, right? Let's just say it. We don't really mean it. Then we'll go about our business and follow Jesus, right? But there were Christians that refused to say it, understanding the significance of that word. And there were Christians that chose not to say it, and they were executed in the middle of that square. 
killed. We throw that word around like it's no big deal. It's a massive deal. It's basically you saying, it's basically me saying, it's one thing to let him fix me, Christ. It's one thing to let him save me. It's quite another thing to let him lead me because it requires obedience. Now, if any one of us is not letting him do that, there's stress in our lives. So I just want to encourage you, which one do you need to let him do more of? Some of you right now, you've got to let him try and fix you. Some of us need to embrace Christ as our Savior this week. And some of us need to let him be Lord. You know, I, I, love, I love how um, someone wrote it in a, uh, in a card years ago. If our greatest need would have been knowledge, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been financial advice, he would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been tax cuts and prescri- prescription drugs for seniors, he would have sent us a politician. If our greatest need had been pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. If our greatest need had been technology, he would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been protection, he would have sent us a policeman. But instead, God knew that our greatest need was forgiveness, so he sent us a savior. I know many of you personally, and I know you embrace Jesus as your Savior, but some of you I don't know, and I would say take that step. Take that step and embrace him as Savior, because you need forgiveness. It's amazing how much we all strive towards forgiveness. Let's put that next picture up there. Some of you may recognize this guy. He's Pope Benedict. Do you guys, you want to get stressed out? What's that number? Go ahead, quick, 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 quick. <laughs> some of you are like, <gasps> it's 16, it's 16. <laughs> Pope Benedict XVI, he's the leader of the, of the Catholic Church. If you don't know how, how the selection process works, they'll, they'll pick an individual, he's actually German, and, and then they will give him kind of a, the name of a saint, okay? And so he'll come up, that's not, Benedict is actually not his name. There was a Catholic in the United States of America before he was selected, and he registered certain um, um, website domains. Have you heard of people that do that? They'll try and register domains and then hopefully someone will need it and then they'll sell it. So he actually registered the domain PopeBenedictXVI.com. And then when the Vatican realized that they need it, they needed it, they went to him and offered him a lot of money because they wanted that domain name. Well, he happened to be a Catholic here in the States and decided, no, I don't want to sell it to you. I don't want to upset millions and billions of Catholics around the world. I'll just give it to you. He said, but I do want three things from the Vatican, from, from the Pope. And here's, here's what he asked for. I am not kidding you. This was actually a news story. One, he said, I want one of those pointy hats that the Pope wears. <laughs> wow. Um, two, I want a week's free stay at the Vatican Hotel. And then the third thing he asked for, and I am not kidding you, this is what he asked for, complete absolution and forgiveness, no questions asked for the third week of March 1987. <laughs> Which made me think, what happened that week, right? Every single one of us can think of something we need forgiveness for. Embrace him as your Christ. Embrace him as your Lord. Embrace him as your Savior. Do those three things. Watch how your stress level diminishes. It, it will not go away, but it'll diminish. Okay, let's move on. Number three is rebuild some relationships. Rebuild some relationships. Chapter 2, verse 12. Verse 12 is where we're going to continue on. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth... Peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now this is very, very interesting, this phrase. Throughout the Bible, especially the epistles, it talks a lot about 
peace. But it's very important to break out the different kinds of peace. Let's put the next slide up there. There's three kinds of peace the Bible talks about. Peace with God, peace of God, and peace with or to men, which is spoken of here. Now let me just break this down real, real quick. Romans chapter 5 says we need peace with God. You know why? Because you and I are at war with God. You go, I I didn't know that. No, you are at war with God by God's definition because there's this thing called sin in your life and unless you take care of it, unless you embrace Jesus, you are at war or enmity with God and you need to have peace with God. You gotta wave the white flag and say, I give up just like we just talked about and I'm gonna embrace Jesus as my savior. That's the peace with God. Some of us can have peace with God but not have the peace of God. That's Romans chapter eight. I can be okay with God. I'm going to live in, in heaven for eternity. But while I'm here on earth, I don't have peace of God. I am filled with worry and consumed with anxiety. And I've got all these major issues that I'm struggling with. See, see the, the issue about how you get peace of God is, is when, when, like, for example, Solomon says, I, I will trust with you with all my heart. Lean not in my own understanding. In all my ways, I will acknowledge you and you will make my path straight. You're going to take that worry away. It's willing to say, here, God, you handle life for me. It doesn't mean you sit back and be a couch potato, but say, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to follow what you want to do. Peace with God, peace of God. Did you notice? It doesn't talk about this in this verse. It would seem to make so much sense, don't you think? The Savior Messiah is coming to Christ. He's going to give you peace. It doesn't say that. It says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men. We all have relationships, and the reality is that some of those relationships are fractured. Some of those relationships are strained. They're not going too well. Do you have any people in your life that drive you crazy? Do you have any relatives that you just want to, you know? Don't look at them. Some of you were like, they're right over there. (laughs) We all have people in our life that way. What's interesting is that people that drive us the crazy normally are the people that mean the most to us or have the most significant relationship with us in our lives. You know, whether you, you know, it could either be a family member or it could be someone at work, but you, you have to interact with them constantly, so it's kind of a significant relationship. It, one of the things and ways you lower your stress is you've got to fix this. You go, okay, you've identified the problem, but you haven't told me the solution. Let me just encourage you to do what Jesus did in this story right here. What did he do? Well, very simply, let me give you three very simple, very quick steps. They're not going to be easy to implement, but they're easy to identify. Number one, make the first move. Make the first move. God didn't say, okay, you and I, we, uh, mankind and, and God, we have issues. If you want to fix this, I'm in heaven, I'm just waiting for you. No, he didn't do that. He took the first move and he said, I'm going to come to you. You want to repair a strained relationship? You go to them. Yeah, but David, you don't understand. No, you go to them. But see, they were the ones, you go to them. Don't tell me you can't fix the relationship, but you're waiting for them to make the first move. It may be true that it was mainly or mostly or completely their fault. I'm fine with that. But repairing strained relationships requires that at some point in time, you try and make the first move. Now, here comes the tough one. After you make the first move, you have to make the choice to be vulnerable. That's what Jesus did. He didn't show up like a military king hero. He could have, right? Could have showed up on a big horse. He showed up as an infant, as a baby, very vulnerable. When you make the first move and you go try and repair a relationship, the problem is that you have to be vulnerable. 
Because you have to be able to say, you know, I, 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 here's how I contributed to the problem. Or you have to say, you hurt me and I'd like to fix this, but you open yourself up to them hurting you again. I got that. I understand that. But if you want to try and repair relationships, you make the first move. You choose to be vulnerable. And here's the third thing. Give them forgiveness. Give them forgiveness. Some of us right now, if you start thinking about the person that, that you least get along with, close person, family member, it literally will increase your heart rate and make your palms start sweating. You'll literally start getting angry just as you sit here. And part of that, not all of that, but part of that is because some of us have not released that to God. We have not yet forgiven them. What does forgiveness mean? How does it look like? Do I pretend like it didn't hurt me? Do I pretend like it's no big deal? No. It's completely opposite. You're, you're saying it's a massive deal. And because it's such a massive deal, I'm going to give this to God and say, God, you take care of this. And from this day on, I'm going to treat that person respectfully. It doesn't mean that everything has to go back to normal. That's not wise. But I'm going to treat them kindly and respectfully. Some of us have stress in our lives because we have fractured relationships. And one of the ways to lower that stress is try to improve it. Try to rebuild it just a little bit. Last thing I want to encourage you to do is this. Reset your priorities. Reset your priorities. Let's look at the last two verses we're going to read and then we'll wrap it up. When the angels, verse 15, had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. You have to understand, there is so much going on in between the lines here. Don't rush through it too quickly. Some of us, so many of us, assume shepherds, they see the angels, it's very exciting, go to Bethlehem, okay, let's go. Off we go. Not so quick. Not so quick. What are they doing in the fields? They're shepherding. They're doing their job. Okay? Now, why are they shepherding at night? Why don't they just put them in a big pen, put a big fence around them, and let them be? I'll come back in the morning. Two reasons. Okay? Reason number one, they don't want them to be stolen. By the way, we're pretty sure that the shepherds didn't own the sheep. Shepherds was the lowest least paying job that you could have in those days. In fact, shepherds were considered to be very unreliable in those days. Their testimony wasn't even accepted in a court of law. That's for shepherds, okay? So you didn't want the sheep to be stolen, so you had to, at least, you had to be watching for people not to come get them. The second thing is they wanted to make sure that wolves didn't kill and attack the sheep. That part of the country, a lot of wolves and such, coyotes, that's the prime reason. There's one little other reason you want to slip in it, we, don't, we don't understand this. The shepherds, they weren't jobless. But make no mistake about it, they were homeless. I want you to think of a homeless man right here in the Bay Area. See what's coming into your mind right now? That was a shepherd. We've read this so many times, we don't even see it anymore. Verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. That was their home. They had no place to go. Plus, they were getting a little bit of money for watching someone else, some wealthy guy's sheep. Now, what would have happened if in the morning that wealthy guy shows up and half the sheep had been stolen or killed by wolves? Are you going to have a job anymore? I don't think so. Don't for one minute think 
that they hear the angels singing about the, and then just go, well, I'm going to leave. Oh, no, no. You know, they're texting a buddy. They're getting a temp shepherd or something. They're figuring out someone to do my job while I go into town. It takes a little bit of effort, but they make that effort. Why? Because that, Jesus, is more important at this point in time than my job. Now, let's flip it over. What did the innkeeper do? By the way, there is no innkeeper in the story. You do know that, right? We always have one of the kids during the program dress up in a bathrobe and be the innkeeper. There is no innkeeper in the story. There's just an inn that was full, and we fill in the lines and say, well, there must be a manager at the front desk, right? A manager that's taking, you know, room service over here and an extra pillow to that room. And, you know, there's someone parked in the wrong spot because the parking lot's full. And there's, there's, there's six people in the hot tub. There should only be five people in the hot tub. They're just running around doing all this work, right? Because the hotel is busy. Now, here's the key. Christmas happened in one of their caves right behind them. Christmas happened underneath their nose, but they missed it because they were so busy. Who do you most identify with? Do you most identify with the innkeeper or the shepherd? Are you willing to do anything and everything to spend time with Jesus? Or are we more like the innkeeper? We got things to do. We got places to go. We got assignments to fulfill. I'm just going to speak for myself. I tend to be more the innkeeper. We can even make it sound good. Well, that's what it means to be responsible. One of the ways that you quickly begin to have stress in your life is when your priorities get all out of whack. Let me give you three priorities that for, my, for me and for many of us very quickly go, go south. Family, our faith, and our bodies are physically. How much time are you really spending with your family? I'm saying no TV. I'm, spain, I'm saying sit around the table and actually have a meal. Where did that go to? What's happened? How, how, how about our faith? Just honestly, I'm not asking you to make you feel guilty. How many of us picked this book up this past week once every day, Monday through Friday? You get Saturdays off. Once every day. And for five minutes just tried to hear from God. How many of us talk to him more than praying and thanking him for our food? Again, I'm not asking you this to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying you cannot have a vibrant relationship with him unless you're doing that. You can't do it. No way. How about our bodies? Honestly, how many of us are taking care of our bodies? How many of us are trying to eat reasonably healthy or trying to get some exercise or you know, vitamins or a reasonable amount of sleep? That's important, honestly. Corinthians says our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I am not suggesting that you go on a diet for the next two, three weeks. It's the best time of the year to eat, so start that in January. But honestly, get your priorities back on track. Because if you are missing in your priorities, you are stressed out somewhere because you're out of whack. How do you resolve this stressful Christmas? Three things. Figure out a way to rebound emotionally. Renew your faith. Try and fix some relationships and make your priorities right. Let's wrap up the story. Verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this Christmas season. Um, and we want to thank you for everything that it represents. But at the same time, we want to admit to you that at times it can be stressful, it can, at times it can cause anxiety. And um, while life is difficult and at, so, at times it, it causes us to, to emotionally, you know, kind of tense up a little bit, Father, you, you didn't want us to live with worry. You don't want us to live with anxiety and stress. Father, teach us through this Christmas story that there are very simple, practical ways that we can begin to release the stress, that we can take our burden and put it upon you just like you commanded us and taught us to do. Father, I pray that instead of looking at our very difficult circumstances, we would spend some time reflecting on how important and significant we are to you. Father, let that sink down into our souls. Father, for those of us who have been resisting trying to fix relationships that are fractured, I pray that you would give us the courage. I pray that you would give us the wisdom to say and do the right things because relationships matter. Dear Heavenly Father, some of us have, um, oh, we love embracing you as Savior. But it's so much more difficult to let you be our Christ, to let you fix our problems. It's so much more difficult to let you be our Lord and to obey you. But every single one of us right now has something in our life that we're holding on to. Father, I pray that you would challenge us during this Christmas season to honor you and to release that to you. Heavenly Father, you are a good God. And this Christmas season, as much as Easter, reminds us of that. Father, may we be like the shepherds. May we be, have our priorities straight. And, and when we leave here, not forget that the first thing they did is they began to tell others about you. I pray that as we leave here, we, we don't start telling other people about about the Christmas service that we had last week or the Christmas banquet we're going to have tonight. But we just tell people about the difference that you've made in our lives. Because when we do that, that is an amazing story. We love you. We thank you for this season. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.